Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman and thanks very much for joining us today. And thanks very much too. You may have heard the news on social media that charleslouis.co.uk, who are the sponsors of this podcast, have agreed to do it again next year. So that's great news. That means you can be guaranteed that the Forever Blue podcast will be around for at least another year. And just in case you needed reminding, um, Charles Louis are a mortgage advisory company, also um, advise on all sorts of other things in terms of the buying and selling of properties, whether commercial or whether private. Um, so please support them like they've supported me. And when you see me on social media, on Twitter, at Ian Cheeseman, put out a tweet promoting the podcast, you'll also see the name at Charles Louis on there. So feel free to Follow them, give them a follow. And if, if you're buying or selling or need some advice in the property transaction business, then contact them and tell them that Forever Blue sent you. Now, the guests on today's podcast, which is a little earlier than normal this week, and there's a reason for that, um, are Terry Phelan, former City player and fullback, um, who is joining us from India, where it's four and a half hours ahead of where we are at the moment. We're recording on Saturday afternoon before the FA Cup final. Um, and we're doing it today because obviously we did it our normal time on a Sunday evening. It's very late for Terry and he forgot last week, but you're forgiven Terry because uh, it was very late. So <laughs> thanks very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, we've also got Harlan, who's a regular contributor yeah. to Forever Blue podcast and Tony. So let's start with, with you, Terry. I mean, obviously you've been you and I have been together on Sony TV in India and discussing City matches. So let's get the heads up from you generally. City have clinched the, well, they didn't clinch it. It was United that gave it to them this week, but clinched the Premier League title. How good has this season been and how good is this Manchester City team? Well, let's start with one point. Manchester United handing it to Manchester City. I love that, to tell you the truth. I think that's absolutely wonderful. So there's there's one point. Uh, but no, I think Manchester City, you know, after last season's wee bit of a disappointment, you know, uh, in the league and, you know, they were, you know, just conceding goals, they wasn't playing too well. You know, it was always going to be, wasn't it? Pep was always going to come back and, you know, and, and turn around and say, listen, we have to be better. We have to do better. You know, we can't fall so many points behind the leaders anymore. We have to be up there. Them. But uh, for me, this season, they've just shown, you know, uh, what they've really gone out and what they can do. And what they have actually achieved, it's been absolutely brilliant. Yeah, we know we've got further things to achieve. To be to be in there with the elite boys, I don't think it's too far away now. Uh, and we know what game that is, but we won't talk about that. But uh, I think it's been fantastic. If you look at the one or two players, I think uh, John Stones has absolutely been brilliant, to tell you the truth, when he's come in. Yeah, he didn't have a great season last season. I think his defensive duties wasn't the, fact, the, the best. But... Uh, you know, I think he's really done well. Him and Diaz have really sold it up there. And you're seeing that against PSG uh, when they was throwing themselves in front. You're you just seeing a different beast, a different Manchester City, a hunger, a desire, a commitment, a focus, you know, and a determination. Obviously, anybody that, that didn't know who you were before they started listening to this podcast can hear your glorious Mancunian accents. I mean, City signed you from Wimbledon. Uh, Keith Curl came as well about the same time. So there might be people who think, oh, he's a southerner. The, they don't need to be under that illusion anymore. I mean, you're a proper mank, aren't you? Playing for City was a dream for you. I know it was. Well, you know what, Ian? I mean, Manchester City come in for me when I was 12, 11, 12 years of age. And he had the chance to sign a four-year contract with them. 
and uh, and and you know I really wanted to do it, but I got swayed to go to Leeds because Leeds was an aging side. Man City then was was paying big money for players. Trevor Francis, Tony Daly, uh, I think uh, Steve Daly. Sorry, it was a million million quid each for them, and he was really spending. Uh, you know, Peter Swell's always spent money. He always spent his money, and I was thinking a young boy, and you know Leeds. You know, was uh, an aging side. And, and I said to myself, I'd love to go to Man City, but am I going to be good enough? Am I going to be good enough to get in that first team? You know, and, you know, years later, I ended up playing for him anyway. It was always a dream to go back and play for him. And Peter, Peter Reid went and bought me from Wimbledon. So and you can see this mank Irish accent, can't you? You know, please tell me there's a bit of Irish in there. You know, <laughs> oh, you obviously it, oh, got it, an Irish relative because you played for the Republic of Ireland, didn't you? My mo- well, my mother was Irish, and all her family was Irish. And you know, uh, you know, obviously moving back over when you moved over to England, the bright lights of England, the bright lights of London brought them over. So, uh, yeah, I'm very proud of my heritage, to tell you the truth. And I'm very proud of, uh, you know, coming from Manchester, or oh, is it Salford? Because I grew up in Salford, really, not Manchester. Two different cities now, guys. Let's think about that. <laughs> I can hear the subtlety in the accent because although I described you as a Mancunian, I know it, there's a nuance of Salford in there. But the people further afield who are listening to this, they won't they yeah. won't hear that difference. How have you ended up in India then, Terry? Well, listen, I first come to India from New Zealand in uh, 2009, 2010. Stayed for three years, then decided to go back to England, get some more education. Uh, with uh, with the academies, different academies. I was always in at Manchester City, always looking there when Scotty Sellers was there, uh, you know, <clears throat> always down at the academy, watching the training, watching the first team. It was absolutely brilliant. You know, it's a little bit difficult over there to be able to do that. So, you know, and then I got the chance to be technical director for the Carola Blasters, 2014. I ended up uh, coming over again. Uh, and that was a time, uh, a good friend of ours, David James, he he had took over the the year later, and it, it was fantastic. So I was a I was a technical director there uh, for quite a while, and then now I, a couple of years ago I moved up to Bangalore with South United uh, Football Club. You know, sorry about United, sorry about the United in there, guys, but I had to mention it. You know, and uh, that's that's great. They've got a fantastic infrastructure. You wouldn't believe it. It's probably the best in in India for what they've built right in the heart of Bangalore. So. Yeah, and obviously I do a lot of TV with yourself, Ian, for Sony Sports India. Mark Lillis was out there for a while as well, wasn't he? Didn't he spend a year out there coaching? He did. I think he was with... Uh, who was he with now? I think he was at Chennai. Uh, he was at Chennai. They won it. They won it, actually. They won it a year at the ISL. They won it that year. They come first year. They come and they won it. It was absolutely fantastic for him. But we've had Robbie Fowler out here, like I said, David James, we've had Peter Taylor out here, Stevie Coppel out here, you know, uh, Owen Coyle, ex uh, Ireland teammate of mine's been out here. There's been many, many of uh, uh, English lads or Scottish lads and even Irish lads out there. So it's been great. Well, let's find, bring in the other two lads now and, and talk mm. about the, the latest game which, to begin with, which was the, the Newcastle game on Friday night, uh, 4-3. I mean, on paper, it was a game where it didn't really matter what happened. You know, it was a dead rubber. And yet, you know, plenty of goals. We saw the emergence of Ferran Torres with one particularly spectacular flicked goal, but also quick 
reactions. And there, there's been all sorts of stories today in the media about, you know, could he be actually the one that we hadn't thought about as a potential replacement for Sergio Aguero and saves all the money being spent or being muted as being spent it on people like uh, Harland. So I suppose since we're talking about Harland, we'll ask Harland uh, whether or not he was impressed by <laughs> Ferran Torres and whether or not, um, you know, what he thought last night's game. So go on, Harland. I saw nothing, Ian, that I've not seen before in Ferran Torres last night. It was, it was, it was, it was for me. I don't mean to sound like, oh, he already knew and all it. What I saw last night was what I expected to see at this stage in the season, given the chance. I said it back in October. Let's get off his back. He played well against uh, Burnley in the cup. He was getting ribbed after. A, 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 I mean, he played five minutes against Bournemouth right at the start of the season, and there was already fans saying he's not good enough for us. And then he, he had a great game against Burnley in the, I think it was the Carabao Cup. Played really well, and I said just reserve judgment on him. I mean, we had a, we had a debate, didn't we? All, all all four of us on the podcast that night about you know Fran Torres, about Diaz coming in, uh, whether Diaz was quick. You asked me, you know, what's he about? Is he combative? Is he quick? You know, is he a good defender? Um, and what I said about Torres is reserve judgment. And the reason why I said that is because he is without a shadow of a doubt Spain's brightest prospect. Fran Torres, he's quick. He's sharp. All right, he's not as sharp for us as you'd expect him to be, maybe because he's not had the games. But he has some talent. He's 20 years old. Well, 21 now. Sergio Aguero was 23 when we bought him. I see Sergio-type stuff in Ferran Torres. The movement, the late runs, the way that he kind of pulls off the defender for a cutback. Um, all that, that I saw in Sergio at Atletico Madrid when he was 20, 21. I'm seeing him for Ferran Torres. And I really like the kid and he works hard. And yeah, he's not he's not lighting it up for the majority of people that love statistics, etc. But actually, his stats are really good as well. But for me, it's all about performance. And I really enjoy watching the lad. And I think that genuinely, we do need a striker. Because if Fran has a couple of games where he maybe isn't at the races, everyone will go back to the debate of, oh, we should have bought a striker because this makeshift striker or this winger that's now become a false, uh, false nine or a, a centre forward isn't doing it. So, yeah, we do need a striker because Sergio's going, we need to bring someone in that is an out-and-out striker. But can Ferran Torres do the job? In my opinion, I think he can, and I think he'll be fantastic for us and for his career. And he'll light up the Euros this year as well. Let's see how he gets on in the European Championships because he's a big player in. Tony, you can either talk about Ferran Torres or you can talk about Newcastle. Or you can go off in another direction, but let's hear some of your thoughts as well. Um, I agree with Harlan, really, in regards to uh, Ferran. I think um, he's not a direct replacement for Sergio. They are different players, and I see him more of a pep striker in the sense that um, he will track back more, he will do more of the midfield. So he's more of that false nine striker than he is an out-and-out Sergio Aguero replacement. So do we still need to go into the market? I do think that we need um, more strength up front um, just for those goal-scoring abilities and to change games when we're behind. Regards to Newcastle, um, really enjoyed it. It was um, strange for me because I'm, as you know, I'm forever a pessimist, even under the recent years. And I go into every game thinking, oh, this could be the one we're going to lose. Or, you know, I'm, I'm never 100% confident going into any game. And for the game, I just thought it was a really good game of football in terms of both teams going for it. We don't often let free in, you know, given that two are penalties, but it was just a really end-to-end kind of goal-for-goal goal kind of game, and I really enjoyed the uh, the Newcastle game. Maybe because the pressure was off and, you know, what had happened at United, and um, we'd got the league, so maybe that was why I was a little bit more relaxed and enjoyed the game more. 
Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed Newcastle as well. What have you made of Torres then, uh, Terry? I mean, do you, do you think he, he, he... I mean, he came as a winger. You know, he's a right winger in theory. We've seen him yeah. play right across the line. He scored some goals that have made people sit up and take notice. Could he be the real deal? I think, you know, like the lads are saying, you know, he's got, he's, he has got flair, he has got skill, you know, he's, and he's got a great eye for goal and all. I think if you give him that free role where he's allowed to roam about and get into them little pockets and get in between defenders, I think if he's just stuck out there, then he could be isolated a little bit. The way Manchester City play at his present time with that false uh, number nine, I think he could fit in there very well. It's when times get a little bit tough, you know, when you need to break a team down, a solid unit down, that's when I think Manchester City they do need uh, a true number nine. And, I, and I've said to yourself, I know a Harry Kane would fit very well into Manchester City's uh, philosophy because he can play as that uh, number 10. He can play as that false number nine. We've seen him do it for Spurs. But uh, yeah, I think Torres is a, uh, is, a, is a wonderful attribute for Manchester City. You know, he's a great talent. He's only young. Like I said before, he can take players on. Uh, and for me, he's exciting. But he just needs that chance and that confidence. And like the lads were saying then, people getting on his back. You know, it's, it's very difficult to get into that Manchester City side. And when you're in, you've got to make sure you're in. We're seeing it now with Vesuz. He can't get in there, you know, and, and, and people like that. So it is difficult. So for me, you know, is he going to play? I think he'll be one of those players. You know, is he going to be a regular? I don't think so. I think he'll be in and out because we know what Pep's all about. He likes to change it up every now and again. Uh, you know, he has got his regulars in there, but he still likes to change it up again and he likes to keep players fresh. So for me, he is a talent and I can see him, I can see him playing a lot more games in the Man City side. You and I, before we started talking uh, on this podcast, you were asking me my thoughts on Gabriel Jesus. So I want to throw that out to the, the two lads. I mean, what is the future of Gabriel Jesus? He's, he's quite young. Um, obviously, we're debating at the moment whether a big name or certainly a specialist striker, goal scorer needs to come in, uh, whether it be Haaland, whether it be Harry Kane, whether it be somebody that I don't even know or somebody that Haaland can pick out for us, whatever that might be. Or is Gabriel Jesus still a very much a part of that future? And could he, given free reign, uh, you know, become the man? Because there's a, there's a lot of City fans who still have big questions in their minds about Gabriel Jesus. What do you think, Haaland? Yeah. Uh, listen, I love I love Gabby, right? Because I, I I remember finding out we were signing him and that he was coming in in the jam. He just won the league in Brazil with Palmeiras. And I, I remember, I couldn't stop watching YouTube videos of him. I was obsessed with watching this young Brazilian kid that was coming in. Couldn't wait to see him in a City shirt. And he made an electric start. We thought he'd scored the winner, didn't we? We thought he'd scored against United. We thought he'd scored against Spurs. Um, he scored the goal against Sampson. It won us the league. We'd already won the league, but you know what I mean? 100 points. He's, he's, he's already created his own kind of legacy at City. And he's a very, very talented lad. He scored some great goals. And do you know what? His statistics look absolutely fantastic. But like I always say, sometimes stats can kind of paper over cracks. Um, they can make you look better than, than you are in certain stages of your career. For example, if you score, and I always use this analogy, and you score three goals at the start of a month in one game and you get an hat trick, you don't score for the rest of the month. It looks like you've scored three goals in four games when, in fact, you only scored three goals in one game and you didn't score for the next three. So I think that, that, that us as fans, kind of, we kind of get players out of trouble by kind of spreading stats, I call it. 
and making them look better than they are. Is Gabby a talent? Yes. Is he a great goal scorer? Yes. Is he Brazilian enough? No. And that's where the problem is for me. He doesn't show. It's almost like Teddy was saying that Torres has got flair. Jesus has got bags of flair. It's almost like he isn't confident enough to show it or he doesn't want to show it or he doesn't quite show it enough. He's got the ability to take a man on. He's got the ability to do what Mares does and chop a player. You know, I've seen him do it in Brazil. He's just not kind of trying it enough over here. And I think that is because maybe he's a bit scared of still the physicality of getting nailed and, and, and kind of winding players up maybe. But is he a talent? Yes. Is he a Sergio replacement? No. Is he a player that can come in off the left-hand side and cause havoc? Yes. Is he going to be the player that we rely on and not bring anyone else in? No, he's not. So I do love Gabriel Jesus and I admire him and I appreciate everything he's done. And I wouldn't want to see him leave the club. But at the end of the day, for me, he's not the player to replace Aguero. And that's why I think we need to bring someone else in. So it's the thing that's missing. I'm reading between the lines here. We're watching the development of young Phil Foden. And uh, he's he is, or it seems, for a lot of the time when he's playing, is allowed to be a bit of a free spirit. You know, and he can do some of these sort of little runs and hit balls from, from areas that Jesus isn't perhaps doing. Is it? He almost feels like sometimes more Brazilian than a Brazilian, you know, in the in the sense that he's got that confidence. Is that what's what's missing That's from right. Jesus? That's right. It's almost like because Jesus has been has been you know deployed as a striker. I mean, we saw it against Madrid. Look when he played against Real Madrid in the Champions League. I know Tony loved that game. I remember chatting with Tony Lemph on the podcast one night about the game and how how Jesus had explored the the pitch. He drifted in off that left hand side. It's almost like Pep knew that against against Fernandez, Nacho Fernandez as he was at the time, he felt like Jesus could get the better of him. And coming off the left, he was drifting in. He was playing as a number nine. Then he was going back out wide, playing as a number seven, coming back in and dropping in as a number 10. And he had a free role and he was so much better. Whereas when he's limited to that, to that little area that a number nine is limited to, Jesus's talents and abilities are limited and he's not allowed to show them. Then when he is chucked out there randomly he's kind of not sharp enough to do what he can do because he's been, you know, conditioned to play as a striker. Whereas Foden is a street footballer. Jesus is a street footballer, but there's only one player showing that street style and that is Phil Foden at the moment out the two. I can see mm. Terry nodding along to a lot of that. So you obviously agree with that then, Terry? Yeah, I, I, I certainly do. Uh, what the guys are saying there. You know, if you look at, if you, if we look at Phil Foden's, uh, you know, attributes, you know, he is a street footballer. We've seen YouTube videos of him, haven't we? He's on the street. He's a, he's a baller, isn't it? Loves his football. I'm getting goose pimples watching him. You know, I was left footed. We all played on the street, didn't we? You know, I was left footed. I was a little bit different. Uh, so it brings me back to my days of just being free. And I think that's what Pep allows the boys to do, especially those very, very talented ones. He allows them to be free and pick the ball up in certain areas and be a nuisance, you know? Picking a ball up where defenders don't want to go into, midfield players don't want to go into, you know, pulling... Uh, teams and players about. Uh, Jesus, he, he, you know, is Brazilian. You know, I was saying this years and years ago, Ian, you know, when, you know, when we looked at Brazil, they won the 2002 World Cup. Uh, they won the 90, uh, obviously the 94 World Cup. Before that, you go back to 1970. And then I think when they, the, the players started coming over to Europe, did that flair started getting knocked out of them a little bit? You know, they started getting frightened. They had to adapt to the, the European way, that physicality, like the lads are saying, that physicality. And then when he's playing as a true number nine, I don't see that. 
You've got to give them a free role. We said against Real Madrid when he played against Real Madrid, away from home. What, what's Pep doing with him? Where's he actually playing? He was just giving him a free role and just saying, look, pick the ball up there, do your defensive duties and all. Uh, he has got great qualities. It's just that he can play in that team week in and week out. And that's the problem, especially when you've got other talents in there who can be free and fresh, like Torres now is coming in and uh, obviously Phil Foden. What's your thoughts then, uh, Tony? You've, you've been listening to this intently. So give us your thoughts. For me, I mean, with Gabby, it's consistency. And that's the only thing that winds me up um, in terms of the game is, and I think, and you know, it's not all down to him. It is, as the lads are saying, in terms of where he's played, what um, freedom he has and that side of it. But in some games, he's un almost unplayable. And in other games, you forget that he's even on the pitch. Um, and I think that's the issue that a lot of City fans have and why he is a bit marmite. You either love him or you hate him, or not necessarily hate him, or you don't like him as a player for City and why some people will say um, there are better replacements out there is because he just doesn't show it every game. Um, so I do think he's not an out-and-out number nine. So we're back to then, who who do we have? Um, but again, you know, we're are we going to get another out-and-out number nine? I don't think so because it's not really Pep's way. Um, and I think a large part of that is because um, obviously they will just get marked out by the defenders, etc. And Pep likes that freedom for the players that moving. So I just don't see that we'll get a replacement. I know everyone's talked about Kane, Harlan um, and that side of it, but I just don't think we will. If anything, we'll probably see another midfielder. Um, and when it comes to Gabby, as I say, my issue is just that consistency, really. Um, and when he starts, I just think, well, which one's turning up today? I've got to ask mm. you, Terry, now a couple of questions away from this subject now on fullbacks. First question mm. is a simple one. As far as I can remember, during the, the time I've been watching City, which is like 45 years, basically, I saw every game you played in a City shirt, um, until Kyle Walker came along, um, if somebody had said to me, who's the quickest player you've seen in a City shirt, I'd probably say Terry Phelan. Um, you were like lightning. Do you think you'd beat Kyle but, Walker in a, in a foot race? But Ian, could I play or all? That's oh, yeah, thing. yeah, I'm not knocking that. Of course you could play. I'm just saying you were quick. You were quick. Yeah. So yeah. Listen, uh, you know, Keith Curl was very quick and all. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, think I, I think I could beat Kyle Walker now. I think I've, I've got it in me, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, give, give, give me uh, 100, 100 metres, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm up for a race. Even at 54 years of age, I can still run. I'll show you, I'll show you a video of me, uh, Ian. Yeah, but listen... I think I think that's I think it's great what he's done and all Kyle Walker the way he's the way he's really adapted in that role, you know, inverted inverted fullbacks, uh, you know, underlaps overlaps. I think he's been absolutely fantastic and he's he's been one of the shining stars and all for Manchester City. Very underrated player, very underrated player. But for me, you know, the size of him, the agility, the balance, coordination, very very good player. But he is quicker, you know. You see him his recovery runs are absolutely fantastic. He, he, he reminds me a bit like myself, to tell you the truth, uh, back in all them years, just up and down. I think, lads, he has to be up and down. If you're not up and down, the manager wants that. If you're not up and down, get out of that team. And that's fantastic for him, that what he's doing. 
Well, let's switch to the other flank then, because clearly Benjamin Mendy was brought in to be that up and down, fast, strong left back. But he seems in these big games, certainly now, to have been eased out by a left winger, young left winger from Ukraine, uh, Alexander Zinchenko. Cancelo can play out there as well, but it looks as if Zinchenko is going to get the nod. I'd love to hear your views on that left fullback position because we've talked about that so many times on the podcast. What what have you made of left fullback at City this season, Terry? Well, I think there's been a there's been a chop and change there, hasn't there? I don't think it's been a settled position, which Manchester City like you know maybe the right hand side. I don't think it's been settled. I think Mendy struggled. Yeah, he come in, he had his injuries, injury problems. You know. Uh, other problems he had, I don't think he's really settled in, uh, to tell you the truth. I think, uh, you know, if you look at Cancelo in there, he's, he's mainly, is he, is he right-footed, is he left-footed, is he comfortable in that position? I don't think so. Uh, well, if, if, we go, if we go to the third full-back, I thought it was absolutely fantastic, Shenchenko. I thought it was absolutely brilliant, you know, to tell you the truth. I think he's cool on the ball. He knows what he's doing with the ball. He's quick. You see him setting the first goal up, well, from the goalkeeper really, but you're seeing him how high and how wide he was uh, for that first goal for Manchester City against PSG at home. I think he's a quality player, mate. I think he's a real, real good player and he can be adaptable. He can play in that midfield role. He can play wide on the left, but he's a good defender and all. Let's give him credit for his defensive duties and all. He's quick, he's agile, he's a good defender. I think he's better than his far outweights uh, Mendy. I think like Mendy's had his real problems. I don't think he's comfortable in there, to tell the truth. And I think, uh, you know, uh, the young boy's got a great chance. He's got a great future at that left-back. So do you think it's it's time to look at getting rid of Mendy, basically? Well, I wouldn't... You know, when you say getting rid of him, you know, if you're going to win things, you need uh, you need a depth in squads. You know, and, I, you know, there's a good old saying, you need two to three players for each position. You know, and nowadays, you know, the rotation policy is going in and the amount of games... Teams are playing, you know, you do need it. I don't think they will sell him. I think they will keep him, to tell you the truth. Right. What about you two? I mean, uh, you've heard what Terry's had to say. He's part of the left-back union, on the, the full-backs union. Um, we're just spectators, us three, aren't we? What, what, what do you make of that? Let's start with Tony this time. What, do you, what have you made of the left-back debate? Zinchenko the man for you? Yeah, and I think one of the things that I like about Zinni is... Um, he fought for his position, so there was the talk of going to Wolves um, earlier on in this, before that season, and uh, I just like that he's not said no, and he's stuck around, he's put the work in, and it shows, and you know, um, last season, he had a great um, season at that in that position. When it comes to Mendy, it depends on the offer that comes in. Um, I would sell him, um, because I do also think that Cancelo can do that position there. Um but it does leave us a little short and, you know, one injury and then we've uh, got that, you know, headache that we had with centre-backs the season or so ago. So, Although um, in theory, Nathan Ake can slot in there as well, can't he? Good yeah. left-back. Yeah. Good left-back. Yeah. Really good left-back. Left back. And I, Sorry, Terry. The, the thing with Nathan is, Ian, um, he's quick and he is a good footballer. Uh, last mm. night he was getting leathered um, for, 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 the, for the penalty. Um and for the 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 lack of defending, so to speak, of Eric Garcia or the defensive nous of Garcia next to him, we go back to Otamendi and Stones. And I thought Otamendi diving in used to make Stones look terrible. And I think mm. that's the key thing with a partnership, that if your partner's not at the races, he can make you look bad as well. 
in, in, in a back four as a, as a, as a centre-half partnership. And the reason why I'm saying this is because last night, Garcia made Aki look worse than he is. Because Aki was... point there, actually, Harlan, because when Vincent Company was playing alongside Mangala for a little while, Vincent mm. seemed to be overcompensating for covering for Mangala. So that's the point well, that's you're making, really, isn't it? Aki last night was being caught out because he was overthinking, trying to sort Garcia's problems out and his own, which meant that his concentration levels were... I could see it. I could see him fretting. And that's not what Aki did. He didn't fret at Bournemouth when they were in a relegation battle. So why is he going to fret playing for City in the same positions against the same kind of sides? I think, I think in, that, in, in that instance there, you've got, to be, you've got to be brave enough and you've got to be, you know... You have, that, you have to have that audaciousness to turn around and say to a player next to you, hey, sort yourself out, get on with your job. I've got my job to do. Yeah, I'll look after you when I need to look after you, but I need to look after me yourself and all. And sometimes you have to be a little bit selfish, guys. I'm really, I'm, I'm really honest with you. You have to be a little bit selfish. And well, because that, if you the keep thing for me, though, Teddy, is Garcia, for me, I wouldn't have played him from January onwards, me. As soon as the mm. Barcelona, even though we're all taking the squad now and we're trying to get people mm. fit and ready for the, for the Champions League final, there was no need yeah. to play Garcia last night for me. Yeah, there was just no need at all. I mean, Carson, that was like a little cameo to celebrate his, his 10 years. And I get it, and it was nice, and the players have a real good bond with him. But the Garcia thing for me, this guy's been going to Barca for, for 10 months. You know what I mean? He's not played for weeks, and then we stick him in there knowing that, I mean, last night, I always thought we'd win the game and I thought that it showed real character to come back twice in the game and I never thought it'd be easy at Newcastle. They're a decent side, them, and they shouldn't be where they are because they do actually play some good stuff. But Garcia in there last night, that nearly caused a worry. That, 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 that was an unneeded change for me. And for a player that really isn't at your club in his mind, that was mm. always going to cause Aki problems. And do you know what? If we were playing again, if we were playing with Diaz or he was playing with Stones last night, he'd have caused them problems as well. And he'd have made Diaz look poor and he'd have made Stones look poor. And for me, it was he was the problem last night. But Ake, defensively, he's very good. He can run up a line. He can drop into midfield. He can carry a ball. He's a good left back, but primarily a centre half. Well, it was it was a, it was a full back for Chelsea, wasn't he? Ake, yeah. he played full back for Chelsea an awful lot, yeah. lot of time. And I was surprised when he left Chelsea because Chelsea have had the problems and all. You know, not switching. Chelsea have had the big problems at uh, full back, and I think. Uh, Manchester City uh, have, have got problems at that full-back area. Like you said, Aki can play there. He is a solid he is a solid defender when needed. But he's got to look at his own roles and responsibilities and all when he's actually playing in there, guys. You know, you can't, you can't look after everybody else. Yeah. Let me take this in a different area again now. Um, obviously, you've been watching from, from India, Terry, and we, we've been watching on our televisions around here. Um Next Tuesday, City play Brighton and there'll be around about seven or 8,000 back inside the stadium. And then a week on Sunday, week tomorrow, as we're recording this on the Saturday, uh, there'll be 10,000 City fans back at the Etihad. Um, so before I go into more of the detail of that, you can give us a, a unique perspective, really, from India. I've talked to Indian fans who, who follow me on Twitter and whatnot, uh, and... Yeah. When Super League came along, there was an assumption that this was all about global fans and the global fans, the ones who can't attend regularly, are not really bothered and would have happily welcomed Super League and welcomed and even not really been bothered too much about games being played in empty stadiums behind closed doors. You have far more contact over there, Terry, than I do. 
you know, what has been the reaction over there? Do you think people were as upset as, as English supporters are and, and how have they reacted to watching games behind closed doors? Because it, it's, essentially it's the same experience for them, isn't it? Of course it is, Ian. It's, it's well the same experience. You know, if you're, if you're a fan of your club, you know, you're a fan of your club and you want to see your club do well and you want to watch your, your clubs. Uh, you look at the EPL at this present time, it's on, you know, every day, every night. So we can pick, you know, got a TV on from the morning till the night time watching, you know, different reels of the EPL. Uh, uh, I think it's Premier League zone. You've got everything on there. So the Indian... Uh, you know, the fans over it, they want to see their clubs doing well. And he was all against this Super League. He was all he was all against it, to tell you the truth. He really was all against it. You know, they want to, you, you know, uh, if they're put, yeah, we, we know, you know, you know, I mean, the Champions League is the Champions League, isn't it? You know, you want to see your teams pit against us four. We know there's four. We're not stupid. There's four out of each league what goes into the Champions League. So I don't, I didn't see the problem. With me, the Indian folk over here, the Indian fans, they love the clubs, they love the football, believe it or not. You know, when I was in Kerala, you had 65,000 fans at the home games, Kerala Blasters, 65,000 fans. It is terrible times. And, you know, we want fans back in the stadiums. We, The Indian fans want to see fans back in the stadiums. They want to see the stadiums full. The only problem is, yes, they can't be there. If there's a, if there's a Super League, many of them might have not been able to watch it anyway, to tell you the truth. Maybe the time difference, you know, but uh, I think, yeah, the Indian fans love the football. They love the football clubs. They want to see fans back in it because it is, it make, that's what makes the uh, EPL, that's what makes football. Well, here we are now with 10,000 fans uh, back. Some fans now know that they've got a ticket. Some fans have been disappointed. Um, I, I wonder, from the two fans' perspectives, um, how you feel? I mean... I'm not going to ask you whether you got your tickets or not. That's you know whether you've applied or got them. That's up to you. But just generally, what you'll have seen the reaction on social media. Some people are very disappointed. Some people are elated. I knew, and this isn't the club's fault, by the way. But I knew that there would be um, a, a divisive nature to all this, in the sense that you know those who who get in, whether it be through points, whether it be through just the look of the draw, whether it be through having a season ticket or a citizen's card, will be delighted. The ones who didn't will feel it's been unfair and and feel let down, especially if they've been loyal fans for a long time. So I can see all the angles. I can also understand from the club's point of view how it's a no-win situation. So just just tell me your feelings, Harlan. Let's start with you on, 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 on what's happening at the moment and what you expect next Sunday as well when fans are back in. Well, first and foremost, Ian, I remember being on with Gary Owen and we spoke about this, I think it was about two months ago now, and we spoke about, you know, would I would I be four fans going back for the last game of the season? Would it be an integrity thing? Would it be fair? <clears throat> and at the time I said, um, I'd leave it. You know, I'd leave fans out until next season, start afresh. Yeah. It stops all the squabbling. It stops all the upset. Now, I'm not going to contradict by saying that, and I don't mind admitting this, I applied, I got in the ballot, and I got a ticket, right? So I, I now, I'm, I'm happy to say that on here because I put it on Twitter. And to be fair to you, I've had some nice little messages off people that maybe haven't got a ticket, people that are avid followers, that love the pod, that listen to the pod, great people. And they've all said, well done, good luck, enjoy yourself. And I've told every single one of them, thanks, you'll be there with me in spirit. I'm not saying that for followers. I'm not saying that to blow smoke up people's backsides. I genuinely will take you with me into that ground and, and celebrate for you and watch for you and... 
you know, and, and, and I'm not, I, I'm younger, I'm 28 next. So yeah, I wasn't at York away, I wasn't born. It's impossible for me to be there. But what I mean is, I have been through some rough times as a kid. I used to go into school and get ribbons. I feel worthy of my ticket. Now, there are people that haven't got tickets that have maybe been going a lot longer than me. And I genuinely, I, I honestly got to feel for them. I really do. I wish that there could be 55,000 in there for this Everton game. I genuinely do. But I've applied for a ticket because why wouldn't I have applied? I want to be back in the ground. I've said all season here, my mental health's took a hit because I've not been going to games. I've been going playing football on a Sunday night as an outlet because I'm, I'm getting pet up. I'm getting het up at home watching the games on telly because there's only so much shouting you can do before you get a knock on your door. Do you know what I mean? So you, you, you can't get up for it, up for it. So I've had to go and do something else on a Sunday to get that, not aggression, but that excitement out of my body and that, uh, the adrenaline and everything else. So I'm not going to turn down the opportunity to go, no. But that's not contradictory. That's not, you know, I said leave it. If I get a chance to go, I'm going to go. But, but is it fair? Probably not. Would I rather everyone be there with me? Yeah, I would. But it is what it is. And, I, and I'm sorry to anyone that hasn't got a ticket, but believe me, every fan that has got one will be singing for you, will be enjoying it for you, and we'll wish you were there with them. Tony? Um, <clears throat> I didn't apply, uh, to be honest with you. I knew my chances were slim picking, so I didn't apply. Um, would I want to be there? Obviously. But at the same time, I um, knew it wasn't going to happen. So, as you know, the pessimist in me went, well, what's the point? Um, so from that side of it, um, yeah, I think that you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. They were allowed 10,000. They were going to allow 10,000. It was one of those from the club's perspective. I've got a few other concerns that I think it opens the door for going forward with the club um, and especially with in terms of legacy fans and that side of it um, and moving over to a ballot system uh, with tickets in general going forward. Um, I can see that being, you know, this being a catalyst for that. Um, when it comes to, you know, watching the game, obviously I'll still watch from home. I'm glad there will be fans in there because it gets rid of that sanitised uh, crowd noise. You could tell at Wembley, you know, in terms of the songs that were being sung, you could tell it was a real crowd there. Um, and it, I really can't listen with the sanitised crowd noise because it's a case of, I think there's two chants that they kind of play on a loop. Um, and it really does, you know, it winds me up in terms of that side of it. So I'm happy there will be fans there. Am I gutted I'm not there? Yeah, but at the same time, I'd rather be there with 50,000 than 10,000 because I think uh, for me, I'd want to you know, see the people I see when I go to a game um, and be there with them. So when we can all go, I'll be uh, first in the queue. Hopefully. We know that um, Fernandinho and Sergio Aguero are going to do the trophy lift together. That, that's been revealed. Um, I also know something um, which I can't say at the moment because it's still embargoed, if you like. Uh, but I know there's something else quite special that um, I, I think is absolutely the right thing for City to do, which will make it even more special. But, um, Tony, do you feel that the fact you won't be there then, missing out on the trophy lift, does that hurt you more than missing the game? Or, or do you, would you have preferred only to have been there with everybody there? Um, I don't think it... I don't think it hurts me more. I think they're both just as equal in that sense. I don't think that, yeah, I'll be gutted that I'll be missing out on it. You know, I was there, uh, yeah, I was last game, Vinny's last game. Um, um, obviously, I didn't get Sergio's to see Silver last, last year. Yeah, um, so I'm slightly gutted about that one because he's, you know, without Sergio, where would we be in that sense? Um, and, yeah, to give him a send-off that he deserves, I don't think 10,000 cuts that. Um, but I hope, like, you know, they said with Silver, he will be back to do whether it's a testimonial when we're allowed full crowds or whatever, I do hope that we will, as a, you know, 55,000 of us, will get to be there and give him that send-off that he deserves. 
Um, yes, it's great. It's getting a statue and whatever else. But for me, it's just to show our appreciation. And there's only so many ways we can do that as fans. And one of them is being in the ground and showing him and singing and showing our support for him. So yeah, I'm gutted about that side of it. But at the same time, you know, um, I'd rather everyone have that opportunity who usually goes to games uh, rather than a select few. The irony is, of course, for the Champions League final, up to 6,000 fans in theory can go. But we've seen the confusion and the changing landscape of going to Portugal all week. I mean, to me, it seems very, very clearly and very obviously that this game should have been at Wembley. Um, and obviously UEFA were determined to get in there. Uh, 2,000 VIPs, um, representatives from all over the world and key workers and everything. And that took priority over the, the, the allowance to let fans back in. So no, no matter what Seferin said, and I chatted to uh, Kevin Parker, who's the General Secretary of the Supporters Club this week about it, who was in a meeting with five other representatives of the top Super League clubs to meet Seferin. And he said that he, he came across as a really good guy who really cared about fans. But the actions are, regardless of the words, that the fans have been put to the bottom of the list when it has come to the playing of this game. It shouldn't be in Portugal. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. In this country, we're very, very lucky. Where Terry is, I know it's terrible at the moment. And anybody who's listening from India at the moment, honestly, our very, very best wishes to you. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we come out of this all together eventually in a good place. But I know it's particularly tough in India at the moment. But the fact is, in this country, we're very, very fortunate that the vaccine rollout has, has worked very well. And so it should really, have, every logic, every bit of my brain says it should have been at Wembley. It is where it is. Um, and, and now there's going to be a rush for 6,000 tickets. There was talk at one stage of uh, people having to go on a day trip in a bubble. But how did 12,000, 6,000 from each club all fly into Porto, all in the day of the game, and then all fly back afterwards? How does that work? Um, you know, some people now are going to go on mini holidays, etc. So there's going to be a lot of upset about tickets, about you know, good off. I've been looking into this because I'm I'm going to be going to the game as a journalist working for Sony TV India, and I've got to have a COVID full COVID test before I go. I've got to have a COVID test while I'm there, and then another COVID test when I come back, and and that's like nearly two hundred quid from what I can see, on top of all the cost of going and 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 ticket prices and everything else. That's I, I'm not complaining because I'm very, very lucky that I can go and do that. But there are other people who will struggle to find the finance, struggle to find the time to do it. And this is the biggest game in Manchester City's yeah. history. Um, I know for, you're an ex-player, Terry, so perhaps have a slightly different perspective on this. But do you, what, what is your perspective on this Champions League fight? It should have been at Wembley, shouldn't it? Well, for me, it should have been at Wembley. It was, it was no nonsense that it should have been at Wembley. Let, let's be honest. I know, like you just said then about uh, England now, they're rolling out the vaccine. Things are going a little bit better than other parts of the world, especially uh, a lot better than India at this present time. Uh, but we will get there in India. You know, we will get there. Uh, <clears throat> it's just being patient. But yeah, it should have been at Wembley. It was ideal for it to be at Wembley. You know, two English clubs there. But then again... Uh, obviously, people thinking about the high rollers again, wasn't it? To tell you the truth, he wasn't thinking about the fans. You know, you've got two set of fans there. You know, you know, <clears throat> one in London anyway. So there's not a lot of travelling for them to do. Yeah, you've got the fans coming from the north, 
a little bit more easier to handle. No, no, you know, you're not having COVID tests here, there and everywhere. You know, you're not spending all that money, like you said, Ian, two, three, maybe four, five hundred uh, pounds, you know, which is a lot of money in this present time. You know, yeah, fans want to be there. It's history for Manchester City. And I, I'm, I'm sure fans would walk across there if they could. But at this present time, it should have been at Wembley. And I can't understand why it was not Wembley. <clears throat> yeah, we said 2,000, uh, no VIPs, this, that. But listen, let's think about the fans who for the last year haven't been able to go in, into games. Let's think about them. One of the biggest games in Manchester City's yeah. history, the biggest game in Manchester City's history of being up there with the with the, the people who have won this Champions League. I can't understand why it's not Wembley. I just don't understand it. You know, and then they turn around and saying, yes, yeah, but we've got, you know, 2,000 VIPs. We've got 2,000 of this and 2,000 of that. What about what about the little man who's cheered his team on for forty odd years, the biggest you know game in the world, and and I can't believe it's not at Wembley. I just don't understand it, guys. I really can't. Harlan, obviously you were against um, you know the the uh, return essentially. I know you've 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 explained all that about the Everton game. How do you feel now about this this Champions League tie? I mean. Terry very eloquently has put the case for Wembley, which I agree with. And I'm sure, actually, without putting words in your mouth, you and Tony would probably absolutely agree with that. I can't imagine anybody that wouldn't. But now we're faced with the reality. Um, And and I don't mean this in the wrong way, but I'm looking at you, Harlan, and I'm thinking, you know, forking out all this money and getting the time off to go and get the COVID test and get all... He's going to be out of your reach, isn't it? As as, as a diehard. No chance, Ian. No chance... What they've done here is, I mean, Seferin, UEFA kind of make out they're doing something good and then they completely ruin mm. it by doing something terrible straight after it. So we pull out of the ESL and then Seferin's like blowing smoke up Caldoon's backside saying, oh, we love City, yeah, yeah, We love the fans. It's all about the fans. That's why we were against the ESL. For me, as much as I don't agree with the ESL, you were against the ESL, Mr. Seferin, because it put your cartel and it put your competition and your establishment at risk. That's why you were against the ESL. The fans were against it because we're fans. You were against it because you work for a rival organisation. That's why you were bothered by it. Then he says, oh, you pulled out, so now we love you. Football's for the fans. So why, like Teddy eloquently put, why then would you rob the fans of going watching their team at Wembley in a final if you care so much about them and yet put it in Portugal where, you know, it's going to be near on impossible for fans like ourselves to go. He's so completely let me, let me just stop there, Harlan, because that, that, that's great what you said, and I wanted to carry on in this in a minute, but just let me put the other side of the argument, devil's advocate, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the UEFA, UEFA think to themselves, so you've heard what I actually think, but this is devil's advocate, right? So UEFA think to themselves, if we move it to Portugal, uh, obviously in Istanbul, um, nobody was probably going to go. Um, this way, 6,000 fans from each set of supporters go. And actually, they would argue that they wanted it in Wembley. And it was actually politicians like Boris Johnson that stopped that from happening. That if there'd been some allowance for these 2,000, to, for them to come in a bubble and stay in a bubble, then everybody would have got they want, what they wanted. So I'm speaking here as if I was Seferin saying... Actually, you know, guys, we did everything we could, and this is still the we're still now in this situation, given six thousand fans of each team a chance to go, which wouldn't have happened in Istanbul, 
and we wanted it to be at Wembley. So that would be his argument. What do you say to that then? But who's the priority though? Like, like you go to Champions League games at home, and no offense to anyone that works for Gazprom or Mastercard or anything like that. But you always see that at Champions League games, they're always the, the best seats and it's always sorted out. And it's always and, and I get it, hospitality is massive. You know, Andy, our very own Andy, you know, he's got a very, very, very well established business, very good person, but a very good man as well. And he gets it from both sides. He gets it from the corporate side and he gets it from the supporters' side. And what I'm saying is, I'm not disregarding that, but what I'm saying is it always seems when it comes to big finals and big events, big tournaments and big music events and big this and big that, like Teddy said, the little man, the person that actually lives for it, that breathes for it, whose drug it actually is, is the last one to be thought about. And for me, well, yet again, VIPs and people of a higher authority are being given the, 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 the easy option and the fans that have lived for, like you said, all them years supporting the club through thick and thin in the lead up to hopefully one day pipe dreaming that you could be in a Champions League final. I mean, one step away from it, They've been forgotten about. It's, I mean, just normal Champions League nights, you know, maybe at uh, the Etihad or wherever they are. You know, so many tickets get sold to the VIPs. Yeah, you need VIPs. We, we, we understand that. But when that chap who's bought a season ticket for his seat, okay then, and he's going there week in and week out, and then all of a sudden he's putting row Z because the VIPs have come in and took his seat Okay, and he's been going in there week in, week out, hail, snow, sleep, you name it, he's been bringing his family. Then he has to fight for a ticket just for a normal Champions League group stage night, whatever, and his seat has been given up to VIPs. And he has to say, yeah, we'll get, give you a seat, but you're in row Z. You know, so we're not thinking about that at all. It should have been at Wembley, but again, it's all about the so-called VIPs and the 2,000 enjoying themselves, the big fat cats, and then there's that little man there who can't go. And this is this is this is this is history making for Manchester City. You know, this puts us if we win this trophy, this puts us up there with the big boys. We need to win this. Wouldn't it have been great to have it at Wembley? We've got two sets of fans, absolutely. You know, jumping. Uh, for the heavens, watching the two teams battle it out. That's all I can say. And Wembley would have been the ideal situation for this. Two English clubs playing at Wembley. I don't understand it. I really don't understand it. Devil's advocate yes. question, Terry. I'm going to ask you a devil's advocate. I'll bring Tony in a second. Well, let me ask you, and it's a naughty one, this really, because I'm now going to say those fat cats, those sponsors, those Mastercards, those Gazproms and everything, bringing all the money so that the players yeah. like you and like all the ones who are playing these days can have those big wages. So you players the problem, aren't you? No, we're not. The, the, the little man pays the wages. The little man, you know, when the old little chairman you know, run these clubs. It was the little man who paid the wages. These fat cats have come rolling. Yeah, we, we, we understand that. Yeah, we need, like I said, Ian, we need sponsors. We, I, I, you know, but for me, what about the little man and all? Like I said, who's been going for 30 years, who's been through the doldrums of watching Manchester City, who've been down to Crew Alexander, you know, and up to Hartley Pool and places like that. What about them? What about the fans? And, we're, and I, I'm perfectly right. Yeah, it's not about wages. I wasn't earning as much as the, the lads are earning now. And half of them are sat in the stands anyway, not playing. They're happy to sit in the stands. But for me, it's about the true, true supporters. MasterCard, whatever. Yeah, I understand that. 
bits for me. It's got to have been held in England. It must have been held in England. It's got to have been held in England. And obviously it was taken away. So now you've got two sets of fans from England having to travel abroad and spend a hell of a lot of money. You know, is then VIPs going to spend money? Yeah, is then VIPs going to spend any money? Tell me, is then VIPs going to spend any money? When they're flying in the private jets and this and that. And the little man there is after scraping his money together, maybe a thousand euros to go over there, you know, and take a hit then. I don't I don't believe it. Ian, if you haven't got fans, if you haven't got fans, you don't need sponsors because you've not got a game. It's as simple Correct. as that. Correct. You know what I mean? Go That's on, the way me. it goes. Like Brian Clough said it once, didn't he? You know, Brian Clough said it once. He was like, fans are the lifeblood of the game. And I think the chairman, actually, when Brian Clough was quite a, a character at, at Derby back in the day, I think Longson, Sam Longson said to him, the manager's the last person that matters because the fans come first. And I think that, that the fans, without the fans, you don't need any sponsors because you've not got a game. It, it's how it works. Sorry, Trust but we me, are I'm, I'm all for the fans. What, what, everything Terry said, everything you're saying, yeah. I completely agree with. Right, I've been raining in Tony. I've been, I've had the reins on him, and now I'm going to unleash him. So go on, Tony, you say your piece. <laughs> you're all kidding yourselves. Um, <laughs> so basically, I mean, I said to you a couple of weeks ago when we spoke, Jeezy, that when it was up in the air of where it would go, when you said, I think it will come to Wembley, I said, no, it'll go where the money comes in. Because let's be honest, Fans have been at the bottom of the ladder since Sky have been involved. And to think otherwise, you are just kidding yourself because we've seen them move games for TV at short notice. We've seen them put games at daft times where there's no trains back for the away fans, all to suit the money and the TV. It's not about just the sponsors. It's about the TV. It's about the money that's being flowed through. We know fans are important. We've seen Barcelona, Real Madrid and other clubs, even obviously they're kind of the bigger clubs, but lower leagues struggling without fans being there. But, they would rather have that 100,000, 100 million or whatever their money coming in than 50, 10 pounds coming in. And that's what it's all about, really. And unfortunately, we are customers these days. We're not fans. Fans are at the bottom of the pecking order. If we actually mattered, then we would have more of a say and we don't. Yes, we've got the supporters, clubs and whatever else. But a lot of the time, we're just getting paid lip service. And, you know, I'm not saying this targeting any other club. Um, I don't think our club's any different. Some of these, what a class of VIPs are, would be, you know, um, big businesses and multi-million pounds. But some of them will be, our, you know, smaller businesses as well. And they're just lucky enough that they will do the corporate. As you know, I've, you know, through sponsorship with yourself and we've bought corporate beforehand. Um, so I'm, I am looking at it from that angle. And if they said to me, would you have a ticket this, that? And they'd probably say no currently because, well, there's a pandemic on. And um, obviously I've got my own views with regards to the pandemic. I'm still... Um, being protective, uh, not had my jabs, etc. So I wouldn't go for that reason. Um, so I just think that as nostalgic as a view that Terry's got and Harlan's got and that the fans should be this kind of really important uh, entity, which I think we should do. I do agree with that. But I just think we're kidding ourselves if we think that that's been the case for the last 15 years. It hasn't. Fans have just been working their way lower and lower down. And we've seen it at the Etihad. So those whole middle sections now, it's all corporate um, for hospitality t- uh, tickets. That's pretty much at every ground. Look at Spurs when they built their uh, new ground. They've literally built a whole corporate section, smack banging, best seats, you know, everywhere. And that's because that's going to bring in more money. Why are they going to worry about filling 10 seats or 20 seats when they can get that from one business, regardless of the size of the business? They're not. So, yes, 
Should it have been in England? Probably. Could they have said, right, well, we're only allowed 10,000 in England, so what we'll do is we'll allow 4,000 fans, but that's better for the fans rather than having 6,000. And they still could have got the 2,000 VIPs, but it was about the money. And that's essentially what it comes down to. That's what the football's about these days. And the Super League was no different. They were saying that they were on the side of the fans, but Sky haven't given a crap about the fans for ages. Um, it just suited their narrative because... Um, of what they're going through at the moment with Sky and they needed the fans on side and be on the fan side because currently that's where they're making all their revenue is through uh, TV being shown, the matches being shown on TV currently. So I'd love to sit here and say, oh, well, you know, fans are so important. Unfortunately, we've seen how, you know, what are they now being called? Legacy fans are being treated with the points and things like that. And this is why I just think that as the game goes on, fans are dropping further and further down. Um, and yeah, I just can't see it ever changing and it will always be about where's that money going to come from. So I assume, and obviously I'm saying this slightly cheekily because I know you're going to answer it, BT announcing this week that going forward, if a mm. team plays in the Champions League on the Wednesday, they won't schedule them for a 12.30 Saturday kickoff. They'll schedule them for a 7.30 in the evening to help them in the Champions League. You're not buying that particularly as a nice gesture from, the, from BT, are you not? No, BT have looked at their uh, viewing stats and gone, well, hang on. Midday on a Saturday, people are, you know, out with the kids doing whatever. We get less views. If we show it at half uh, seven, we get more bums on seats and more eyes on the screens. That's essentially business for them. It's nothing to do with the clubs. It's nothing to do with whatever. Because otherwise, they'd say, well, why can't we schedule it for a Sunday and speak to the Premier League about doing that? It is, you know, and if it is going to be the case of, you know, showing it earlier on, uh, later on in the evening, why not half five? Why half seven? Because when fans are allowed back in, then that's, you know, your half nine, ten o'clock trains that might not necessarily be there for away games and stuff. It is, as I say, it's, call me sceptical, but it's all down to them and what they're going to then be able to sell for advertising for those games because they've got more eyes on the screens and say, right, instead of three million people watching, we've got five million people watching. Given that you, I asked this question on the podcast last week to Adam, who'd been on City Matters. I don't know if you heard that, but um, I'm going to ask it to you, Tony. You're a astute businessman. You're clearly very intelligent. You've you've had your finger in in the normal fan pie, but you've also had experience of the corporate side. So let let's say, for example, City came along and said, you know what, we want a fans voice, a proper fans voice now inside the club, who are going to tell us you know, or help guide us and be a bit of a consultant. The way that they're trying to, you know, portray that this would be. And they came, Tony, would you like to be that man? Would you take it on? No, because again, I think that um, Skeptical as the club, I think, for example, City Matters, yes, they get together and whatever else, but what does it achieve? Sometimes the club, you know, go along with it and tick the boxes, but at the end of the day, they're going to do their own thing. They're going to do what brings in that revenue so that they can meet FFP, they can, you know, have the better signings and they can make more money because it's a business at the end of the day. And let's not kiss ourselves Carl Doon. He's a great chairman in my eyes, but at the same time, he's a great businessman. And City is a business. It's not a football club. It is a corporate organisation. And if they asked me to do that, I would say, well, what powers do we get? Because as fans... We would just be saying, well, we think this, we think that. And then you get coming back, oh, well, actually, we can't do that. We can't do this. What about if we do that? And they're just trying to use you to sell their view rather than listen to what you have to say, in my opinion. 
Right, we've got the last five minutes or so of the podcast. Uh, Let me conclude by getting back to matters on the field. City are in a fantastic place at the moment. Just won the Premier League, won the League Cup, um, had uh, this fantastic away run. We we all noticed the number of passes that were put together in various bits of the game last night. City have got two games left in the league. Brighton away on Tuesday, Everton at home. We saw Scott Carson playing goal. We saw Eric Garcia get a game. What do you want to see from these last two Premier League games before, you know, the, the big one? Because we won't do another podcast now until after both of those two last league games are played. And then we'll have a podcast that looks completely ahead to the Champions League. But what do you want to see from those last two games? Do you want to see Aguero play on the last day, for example? Do you want to see him play in the two last games to try and equal and then beat Wayne Rooney's uh, goal-scoring record? Or the fact that he he missed that penalty, does that now mean that you don't want to risk him because you don't think his head's in the right place? I I just wonder what your thoughts are, really, on on how Pep and the team you know, should approach it? Because there's, there's that also that question of risking players who might get injured, you know, uh, but at the same time, you want to keep the momentum going, don't you? If, you? if you just sort of don't play properly for two games to protect everybody, you haven't got the momentum going into the Champions League final. So, Terry, what, what, what do you think should happen in the next two? Well, it's all about confidence, like you said, Ian, isn't it? It's about confidence and, get, and keeping the continuity going. No matter who goes in there, it's a chance for them to stake a claim uh, you know, in the Champions League final, because we don't know anything could happen. You know, players could, you know, fall ill. Uh, for me, you've got to keep that confidence going. I would, I would like to see Aguero play. He's had a rough season, to tell you the truth, real rough season. I know uh, he missed that uh, penalty, but you know that's gone now. You know, <clears throat> he's a quality player. We know he's a quality player. Get him in there because at the end of the day, he needs games. Because if he has to come on in the Champions League final for that last 20 minutes, we want him a little bit sharper. I don't think he's been at the fittest, to tell you the truth. But I'd like to see him play, you know, not just a, not just about that emotional stuff about, you know, this is his last few games and he's leaving. No, let's think about it uh, and, and put it into perspective. Get him fit, you know, play him in the next couple of games, keep him healthy, keep him fit. And then, because like I said, you might need him for 20 minutes of the, the Champions League final just to throw him on. But I just don't think he's fair. I think a couple of games will give him that confidence. You know, what's done is done. The penalty's done. It's gone. As a player, it's gone out of your head. You can't do nothing about it. It's no use worrying about it. He's a class player. Uh, but I would I would like to see him play, yeah. What about you, Harlan? Yeah, well, decent side Brighton, aren't they? I mean, anyone that, anyone that disrespects Brighton for where they are in the league, just, just go back and watch a few of Brighton's games or a few mm-hmm. highlights. Great football side, like really good. Like the football they play, they do not deserve to be down the bottom end of the Prem. And every time we play Brighton, I mean, I remember two years ago, they came, they came to us and it was, for me, the best side that came to the Etihad um, and played against us. They had a real good go at us. Will we beat them? Yeah, in my opinion. I think we will if we've got enough. Um, but I'd like to see us kind of play a false nine against them. Um, kind of play a, 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 a mimic of what we play in the Champions League final against Brighton. Well, that's side. part of the question, isn't it? Do do, do City does Pep use the next two games to try things out? I would, yeah. Do it to protect the, his players. I would, yeah, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't try it out in an experimental way of like just trying too much out. I'd kind of use it as like a drawing board for the Champions League final. Yeah, Brighton, Chelsea, Champions League final, last two games of the league. They, they don't kind of sit together. But what I'm trying to say is, he's got a little easel to work on. 
um, work things out, maybe try a false nine against the possession-based side, which I think Chelsea will try and be against us in the final. So you've got like a, a, a mimic of Chelsea in Brighton is what I'm trying to say. And you can kind of like against the poorer Chelsea work it out. I'd like to see a bit of Delap maybe in the final game of the season. Um, you know, get him on the pitch and give him give him 10, 15 minutes just so we can kind of see what he's got um, against a good Everton side, a good back line, Yeri Mina, big defenders. Can he bully him? Can he give us what we know he's going to give us and want you know what we want him to give us? I'd like to see Aguero playing in the, in the final game as well. And I've got a little, uh, you know, I'm, I'm poetic. I like I like my numbers. I like a few numbers and a few stats. Um, if, if Aguero plays in that last game and we win the last two games of the season, we'll finish on 89 points for the second time in 10 years. We finished on 89 points when we drew on goal difference with United. We'll have finished on 89 points again in both his first season and his last season. If he had 89 and 89 up, it equals 178, which is the amount of goals he scored to break the record. Really? <laughs> it just works. Stats all there. It's just only worked. what I you want to see from these. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself sad, but I just worked it out the other day and thought, I'll add them up, see what it comes to. One, seven, eight. Got to be on it. Got to be. Winner in Champions League final. Bate. That's the beat. Bate. What, what do you want to see from these last two league games, Tony? Um, I mean, I agree with Terry. I'd like to see Sergio play both, uh, get his sharpness back up. Um, I think when it comes to the penalty, it's just one of those things, really. Um, I think we could have said the same about uh, De Bruyne when he did the, you know, one of the first to do the uh, the ball under the wall. If it had just hit the player's foot and didn't go under the wall and go in, we would say, what a crap free kick and uh, what's he playing at? Uh, Sergio came off the other day. He'd be a genius. It didn't. And everyone was on his back. But that's besides why it's happened. I think he's um, needs that sharpness. I do think, you know, we might need him in the Champions League. You can have all the players you want. But for me, Sergio, regardless of his fitness, has that natural goal scoring ability. And we just need to sharpen that before the Champions League final, just in case. Um, and I don't necessarily want to see too much of a weakened side in the next two games because, again, it comes to that match sharpness. And I think if we rest Foden, De Bruyne and uh, Edison again, then they come the Champions League final. What game time have they had in the last uh, two weeks, etc.? So for me, I don't, I understand, don't risk the players. But at the same time, we've got to kind of sprinkle them in there every now and then. So even if it's just giving them 60 minutes and then, you know, taking them off or bringing them on for the last uh, 30 minutes, they've still got to be playing. Um, I don't want to see Garcia. Um, that'll be one that I can see who I don't want to see. Um, and I would like to see um, kind of a sprinkling of some of the players we would want to see in terms of the Champions League final. So I'd want to see, you know, uh, Diaz playing, Stones playing, um, but then also if you want to give anybody a go and you want to mix things up, put a couple of the kids in there as well. Uh, bring them off on the bench for half hour. Bring the uh, De Bruyne's off at sixty minutes. Give them those chances uh, whilst we've got them because we need to look to the future as well as you know um, look to Chelsea. But <clears throat> Pep's always said the next game is the most important. So would he play with the Champions League in mind? In theory, no. Realistically, I think he does, regardless of what he says. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see uh, a mixture, really, regards to the next couple of games in terms of team selection. But I don't want to be uh, seeing too many players rested. 
Well, personally, I, I'll finish with my opinion. Um, I certainly want to see Sergio play if he's fit, because obviously there was some question about whether he was fit for Newcastle. I'd want to see him play in the next two mm -hmm. games, certainly in the last one. I want to see him come off after about 75, 80 minutes so that the 10,000 in that stadium can give him a standing ovation as yeah. he comes off. Um, KDB's a different one. He's got a bit of an injury, um, probably too early to risk him at Brighton, maybe bring him off the bench in the last game. I'd like to see a pretty strong team against um, new, uh, against Everton on the last day to try to get the momentum going. I know then if somebody gets injured who you deem to be crucial, then you get slaughtered and why did he play him and all the rest of it. Don't play the, the big ones for, for 90 minutes, play him for 60. But you've got to take the risk. They could get injured in training. You know, just go for it. Give those 10,000 who are lucky enough to be in the, a treat on the last day as well as uh, that, the trophy presentation. Hopefully... I'll be in at the game, hopefully. I, I don't know at the moment, but hopefully I will be. And hopefully then I can do um, a vlog and you can see that on the Forever Blue YouTube channel uh, after the game. In the meantime, uh, thanks very much to Terry. Really, really appreciate your, your contribution and time, Terry. It's a joy to, to talk to you on Sony TV India and it's been an absolute joy to speak to you tonight. Well, I'll get, get you on again in the future. Um, we've also got to thank Harlan and Tony. Um, great contributions from you yeah, two man. guys as well. Um, and uh, to everybody who, who's listening, thank you very much for sharing and downloading. And a big, big shout out to charleslouis.co.uk, who are the sponsors of this podcast, who, just to remind <coughs> you, are a chartered mortgage um, company who, who also do property surveying and all sorts of other things. So give them a call. Have a look at the website, charleslouis.co.uk, and contact them. And they've renewed their sponsorship for next year, which is brilliant. Thanks very much, guys. So, um, have a good week. Enjoy Brighton. If you're at the Everton game, enjoy the Everton game. And uh, remember, it's great to be a blue.